Hello, this is Joel Flair. Welcome to the Joel Flair Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Last month, we talked about Post Malone, a guy who is probably a household name. This month, we are taking a look at a very talented, but probably less familiar, hip-hop artist. If you have joined us before, I'm glad you are back. If you are new to the show, this is a great time for me to introduce my lovely supporting guest, Kit. Hey everyone, so glad to have you here. I have seen today's artist live, twice, and I'm looking forward to learning more about him. He puts on an energetic, entertaining show. Oh, indeed. He always gets the crowd up. But before we get too caught up chatting about that live show, you should probably let the audience know who we're talking about today. If you like Christian music, you might be familiar with today's artist. If you aren't on the Christian music train, don't run away yet. Kid is right there with you, but she really enjoys this artist's music. Let's talk about Andy Mineo. Andy Mineo was born in 1988 in Syracuse, New York, and was raised by a single mother. In an article written by Cicely Corey for the Billy Graham website, Andy described himself as a loud, foul-mouthed kid who bullied students and terrorized his teachers. He ended up kicked out of school. A visit to Christian camp with his sister opened his eyes to Christian life and temporarily motivated him to prove he could be a good student. Lacking positive male mentors and a Christian community, Minio found himself torn between sin and Jesus, an issue he deals with in some of his music. Minio's music deals with personal issues focused on introspective lyrics that often represent a conversation with God. While he wants people to know that he is religious, he doesn't consider the music he makes super non-secular. Minio just wants to make songs that aren't filled with the nastiness of today's rap music. He says, Yeah, I'm a Christian rapper, but I'm not going to fake the funk for anybody. You know, that kind of sums up what I like about Andy Minio. His beats and skill are on par with traditional rappers that we know, but I like knowing I can listen to his music no matter who I'm around. With a lot of the other rap and hip-hop I know, the subject matter and the language can offend people, but with Andy's music, I can listen to a good beat and appreciate his skill in any company. Absolutely, Kit. The Andy Minio that you enjoy listening to has had his music played in the Yankee Stadium which certainly means he can write a hit. But of course, it didn't start like that. Minio started rapping and writing lyrics with his friend Ryan when they were kids and invested in a recording software called Cool Edit. His musical ambition grew as he built a recording studio during his high school years. Minio recorded his own music and began charging others for recording time. Before he made it big, he was an opening act 
for the likes of the Roots and Common. Very impressive for a young artist. Although Andy Minio was making substantial progress in music, especially considering how young he was, his faith left something to be desired. He found himself growing further and further from God. After graduating, he joined the secular rap group Fat Camp. If you're curious about them, you can go check their music out on YouTube. We took the time to look it up, and it really felt like a blast from the past. If you decide to look it up, make sure you do Fat, F-A-T, not Fat, P-H-A-T. While in Fat Camp, Andy Mignon met fellow City College of New York student, Alex Medina. Alex, now a Grammy-winning producer, connected him with the Religious Ministry Truce, also known as To Reach Urban Communities Everywhere. When Andy saw other Christians his age who loved hip-hop and represented the, the urban community, he left Fat Camp and started a new phase in his music career. Have you ever performed in a concert? How about a play? I've performed in a play before, and let me tell you, it was nerve-wracking showing up in front of a crowd of a couple hundred people. Well, when Andy Mineo did his first performance with Truce at the IZOD Center, there was a crowd of roughly 17,000 folks. Can you imagine taking a small school performance audience and multiplying that by a hundred? I sure can't. What an adrenaline rush. Around this time, in 2009, Andy Mineo released his first solo mixtape under the moniker Sea Light, entitled Sin is Whack. Unfortunately, they don't have this album on Spotify, but I did find it on YouTube. And, as I'm sure you learned from the Post Malone episode, I definitely have music opinions. Right, Kit? Absolutely. I will leave all of the music reviews to you, Joel. When I heard this mixtape, I definitely thought Minio, or should I say, Sila, was trying to find his sound. Definitely a lot more autotune and monologues on Sinner's Whack than on Minio's more recent projects. I feel like that was the time of autotune, though, that it got pretty popular a little before that tape came out. I'm thinking T-Pain, so maybe that's why Minio was really into it, just kind of a big thing at the time. Were there any songs on this that are worth checking out? As far as songs that stood out to me, I'd say I like the old school feel of Jesus over hip hop and the sampling of Who's Watching Me and the song Who's Watching. Occasionally, I'll listen to Washed because of its aggressive beat and motivational monologue. I also appreciate how we dealt with chastity on Sinner's Whack. Overall, I'd say this mixtape is okay. Definitely a good starting point for Minio. If you listen to Christian music, you have probably heard of Lecrae. Lecrae is a star in the Christian hip-hop community, having won eight Grammys, including the first hip-hop artist to win Best Gospel Album. 
Andy Mineo's career got a huge boost when Lecrae featured him on the song Background off Lecrae's 2010 album Rehab. Shortly after, Andy released the song In My City under the name Sea Light. It gained notoriety, leading Mineo to get signed to Lecrae's Reach Records. Imagine how it must have felt to be Mineo at that moment. You pour yourself into your music, something you have been dedicated to since childhood, and here you are, signed to a popular Christian music label. Shortly after, Sealand disappeared from the music scene. Having signed to Reach Records, Andy decided to drop the moniker Sealight. This new opportunity was a good time for him to create music under his given name, Andy Mineo. Andy started the Sirius XM web series Saturday Morning Cartoons. This show had 14 episodes. I watched the first episode and I thought it was interesting. It's basically where Minio and his production team flip around a beat of a classic hip-hop song and sample it for his own song. It's fun to watch the laid-back creative process. I definitely recommend watching Saturday Morning Cartoons. What'd you think of it, Kit? I know you're the one that's really into beat creation and production, so I had a feeling you would like it. I was unsure, but actually I really enjoyed it. It was interesting to see how others were inspired by a popular hip-hop song we would all recognize. And I always enjoy the chance to get the behind-the-scenes experience on how people do the things they do. If you guys want to check it out, we found it on YouTube under Saturday Morning Cartoons. And the tunes is T-U-N-E-Z. At the beginning of 2013, Minio released his first proper album, formerly known. Thankfully, this album was on Spotify. First thought I had when I saw this digital release was, there are a lot of collaborations. It featured artists like KB, Shobaraka, and, you guessed it, Lecrae. I enjoyed Let There Be Light, the happy light no pun intended, duet with Lecrae. Pick It Up, featuring Belief of the Breaks, is a great workout song with its loud electronic beat. Both Everyday Thing and Fool's Gold, featuring Shobaraka and Swoop, give off daydreaming 90s R&B vibes. I'm sure Kit, a child of the 90s, appreciates that. I'll include these songs on the episode Spotify playlist under Joe Flair. I need to check that out when we're done recording. You know me too well, Joel. I am a sucker for a 90s R&B vibe. There's a link in the episode description. The album dropping didn't stop after Formerly Known. Minio also released his second full-length album, Heroes for Sale, in 2013. This is my least favorite release by Minio. In fact, when I was looking back at this album's information to fill in the script, I found out Formerly Known and Heroes for Sale were released just three months apart. 
Maybe that's why this album felt a little weak and rushed. Don't let my opinion stop you from checking it out because the LP debuted on the iTunes rap chart and number three on its first day of release. It also gained the number 11 spot on Billboard's top 200 albums chart. So now, with those impressive chart stats, it seems apparent I have to choose my favorites out this album. I like the pumped up, concert ready sound of Ayo. The Saints, featuring KB and Trip Lee, has a strong military influence take on when the Saints go marching in. That's really ear catching. Ooh, I remember hearing that one in concert. And you know, I can't resist marching around the house if someone turns it up. I know it gets you moving, Kit. But I really like Minio's fast rap over the drum break. Uno Uno Seis, featuring Lecrae, also gets me moving when the beat builds up. Like Kit mentioned a minute ago, I remember hearing the Saints at one of the Andy Mineo concerts. Andy Mineo was touring with a bunch of other Christian rappers. I think like Gavi, 1K Few, and What Up RG. And uh, after the show, my brother said he couldn't believe how fast Andy Mineo was rapping. You know, it's pretty incredible because Mineo usually doesn't rap that fast. And some of these other rappers, well, once they know they can rap fast, they constantly flaunt it. But Andy, he's not like that. So when you hear him rap at massive speed, you've got that sort of shock. Like, wow, I forgot how good he is. Oh, for sure. Now, I don't expect people to sound exactly like the album version in concert. In fact, it isn't quite as good when they do. But that being said, there are so many artists that just feel like they lack some talent in person. Andy Mineo is not one of those people. He gets up there and he really spits it. This guy is tight. I agree. Kicking off 2014, Andy Mineo released even more music with his EP, Neverland. This album featured the sports favorite, You Can't Stop Me, which won an ESPN Whammy Award for MLB's walk-up song and went gold in 2018. This song is a hands-down winner. And it was a great song live, too. I was so excited when I heard it in concert. I think every artist has at least one song that the whole crowd recognizes, and this is no doubt Andy's song. I couldn't get enough of it live, and judging by the attendees around me trying to keep up with his rap, they couldn't get enough of it either. I also like the song Paganini, featuring KB and Cannon which showcases the three artists' fast rapping skills. I feel like it was a good idea to have a simple course to make way for the verses given at machine gun speed. I also feel like it's worth checking out the ridiculousness of Paisano's Wildin, where Minio rhymes Tupaca with Chewbacca, and at the end of the song, jokingly threaten someone, saying that he's going to drive them home, throw them in their bedroom, and burn every piece of toilet paper they own to schmoops. 
He clearly had fun writing that song. But despite the humor of Paisano's Wilder and the lyrics on the song Rewind, where many of reminisces on making beats with Ryan, this release of his is still not my favorite. I think it is due to the fact that Neverland was an EP, which to me was far too short. I mean, I'd have loved to hear an expanded version of Neverland. Where you at, Minio? Well, I have a guess where he was at. Probably back in the studio recording his third full-length album, Uncomfortable. This album, which would come out in the fall of 2015, was actually my introduction to Andy Minio. I was listening to a Christian hip-hop station online trying to find some new artists to compete with the mainstream rap I was hearing on the radio when I heard the song Uptown. It got my attention, and I devoured other songs from Uncomfortable, including Now I Know, and No, That's Right. This is definitely my favorite Andy Minio album, not just because it's nostalgic for me, but also because it's just a good LP, so good that I had to own it physically. That's saying something. My favorite songs from Uncomfortable are the catchy R&B influence now I know the intense Desperados and the brutally honest Vendetta. I would definitely recommend this album. And if the charts could talk, I'm sure they would too. Uncomfortable notched in on Billboard's Top 200 chart and became the number one best indie record in the country. I feel like we don't really hear a lot about Christian music. But those billboard stats tell me there is definitely a market out there for it. I'm not surprised to hear that Andy has had chart success. Like you said at the start of the show, he has a Christian message, but the funk is for real. In 2017, Andy Minio and fellow Christian rapper Words Played released a collaborative album. The release was a partnership between Reach Records, the label Lecrae signed Minio to, and Minor League. Minio's project that signed words played. The full-length LP was entitled Andy Minio and Words Played Present Magic and Bird. The album cover depicted Minio and Words Played standing together, playing the roles of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, holding a basketball. While this was a funny picture to put on the cover, the album itself was kind of disappointing. Sure, the way Woods plays deep voice and Minio's nasally voice bounce off each other is nice, but the beats were a little too simplistic. However, I did enjoy the bass heavy beat of Dunk Contest, Magic Bird, and how it complemented the voice of Woods played. I also liked the easygoing feel of Sayless with the garbled vocals interjected into the beat. I'd like to hear more of words played on the first verse of a lot of the other songs, but I think it was nice that Andy Minio released a collaborative album. Overall, I'd recommend this LP if you're just getting into rap, but I don't listen to Magic and Bird much. I am seriously surprised by how much content Minio puts out. He is dropping albums like crazy, starting his own label, putting together collaborations, and doing a YouTube series. 
I need to get that motivated in my life. I hear you, and there's still more. In 2018, Minio released a two-part album series. One, The Arrow, and two, The Sword. The first installment was released in April, and the second installment was released in September. I really enjoyed The Arrow, which shows Minio bringing out his well-known personal side. I like the indie lo-fi sound of I've Been and the repetitious, calm synth in the background. Family Photo, featuring the vocals of Weatherman in the chorus, is a very emotional song that gives me goosebumps every time I hear the somber piano. The song, about Minio's dad failing to show up at his wedding, is full of emotion, ranging from sadness to anger to disappointment. I'm usually not a fan of EPs, normally finding them rushed and half-heartedly put together. But this, the arrow, stirred so many emotions inside of me. As far as two, the sword, the song None of My Business is a witty song with an intriguing beat. Shame, featuring Josh Garrels, is another song, exploding with emotion. I love the end, where the music builds up into a crescendo. Overall, too, The Sword wasn't as good as its predecessor EP, but as far as EPs go, I can't complain. Minio is a powerhouse. Like Kit mentioned earlier, putting out music regularly, but that changed in 2018. Minio's mother, the woman who raised him as a single parent, died after battling leukemia. Understandably, Andy wanted to take time off. His next album, Work in Progress, released a year after his mother's death, was unique, with previously unreleased tracks and demos, along with clips from his podcast of the same name. My favorite songs off this album include OTOD, where Minio's tight flow layers over a simple beat. I also love the beat of Keeping It Moving, which features British artist Governor B. Anything But Country is a clever song about how we usually associate certain types of people with certain music genres, but Minio basically says that anyone can listen to whatever music they like. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Till Death is a funky jam. I like that Andy Minio can rap over something that's not a hip-hop beat. I also think the group of singers in the chorus was a nice touch. This song is reminiscent of 70s funk bands like Chic. As you can tell, Work in Progress has some really great tracks. While I appreciate when artists try something new, there are too many clips from the Work in Progress podcast for my taste. But this album is definitely worth a spin. I didn't realize Andy Minio had a podcast. So while you were talking, I looked up some info on Apple. It looks like there are 11 episodes and that Andy and his co-hosts, Delgiz Mustafa, hope I pronounced that okay, discuss Minio's inspiration and his creative process. 
So if you enjoy Minio's music, that might be worth checking out. It's called Work in Progress, just like the album. Thanks, kid. Andy Minio's newest music as of this episode's release is the late December 2020 EP, Happy Thoughts. Mangia, Ramen and Ryman has an excellent beat, lo-fi, old-school, and drum-based, and the flow from Minio is equally smooth. Mama Taught Me has both an up-tempo beat and up-tempo rap that will inevitably get you moving. I'll occasionally listen to the song Herman Miller. The beat's really busy, with an 8-bit video game feel. And it's a brilliant workout song. Overall, Happy Thoughts was good enough to earn a spot in my Spotify saved albums. By now, you've probably caught on that EPs really satisfy me, so I'm hoping for an album in 2021. I admire Andy Minio. He stays true to himself. He continues to be a deeply personal artist, revealing his own struggles and issues in his music. He isn't afraid to create raps with meaning. Andy's music is for anyone that likes hip-hop. He says some people think of Christian music as old and dated and crusty, just notorious for not being innovative. It must be a struggle for Andy Minio to fit into the music world. Some Christians are anti-rap, and some people who like hip-hop don't think his music is dirty enough. As he says, he is a rapper who is a Christian, not a Christian rapper. By calling him just a Christian rapper, he is essentially being pushed into the Christian category, standing on the side of the hip-hop world instead of being in the hip-hop world. And he said it well on the student life site. At the end of the day, I want to sit at the table of hip-hop, be respected for my artistry, and have an opportunity to bring what I believe to the mix, like everyone else does. As a listener who can't get enough of hip-hop music, I agree with Chad Horton, founder of Rapzilla.com, who says Andy is a good artist, lyrically and skill-wise. He's definitely worth checking out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Joel Flair Show. Make sure to check out my Andy Minio playlist on Spotify, under Joel Flair, link is in the description. And a huge thanks to the website Narratively, who published a lovely article about Andy, written by Corey Mitchell, which includes so much helpful information. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to come back next month. The March artist is a real riot. Yep, sure is. We're getting ready to talk about a lounge singer who covers modern rock and rap songs. He cracks Kit up. Any guesses? I'm Joe Flair. This is the Joe Flair Show. Bye. If you like Christian music, you might be familiar with today's artist. 
Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch of them. All right, try it again. The Andy video that you enjoy listening to has his music played in the Yankee Stadium, which means you can produce a hit. Ooh. I don't think I wrote that line quite right. I would definitely recommend this album, and if the charts could talk, I'm sure they would. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you need the two in there, otherwise it's just like uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Why don't make it sound like we're having a conversation? I hear you. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to come back next month. The artist Rikadoogoogie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, and be sure to come back next week. I did so well. I did so well. This is my last line. What is my problem? You're going to have some editing to do here, son. Yep. We're getting ready to talk about a lounge singer who covers modern rock. <laughs> Gosh. Nope. Go back to Yum Sure Is. That was all terrible. Lounge singer. <laughs> Try it again. Oh. We got five sentences left. That's a rare. This podcast is an Elf Pie production. Hello, this is Joe Flair from the Joe Flair Show. I love music. Okay, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you here, Joel, because if there's one thing you love more than music, I think it's positive feedback. That's right. So... Make sure to follow the Joe Flair Show, and if you have Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, because I love that positive feedback. He is not kidding. It really makes his day. (laughs) So without further ado, let's get into today's program. Hello, this is Joe Flair. Welcome to the Joe Flair Show, your monthly music podcast. The last three episodes featured the stories of interesting and inspiring musical artists. And if I'm being honest, I'm feeling a bit tired from all of the research. So this month, Ken and I are going to do something a little different. A more casual roundtable discussion about something happening currently in the music world. That's right. Joel did a little, shall we call it, whining about the amount of time he's putting into research. And I know he's a big fan of shows like Popcast that let the guests get a bit more chatty. So I pitched today's topic and he jumped on it. I sure did. And I brought along a friend, my brother, Doc. If you've been hanging out with us for a while, you might remember him from a merry mini-sode back in December. I never would have expected to be the person defending Jingle Bell Rock, but I actually don't mind it all that much. I hate this song! I've heard it too much. When I think of Christmas, I don't think Mariah Carey's 1994 <laughs> hit. My favorite is Carol of the Bells. Welcome back, Doc. It's good to be here, as always. Alright, let's get into today's topic, Sad Girl Pop. 
In mid-July, a story published on Grammy.com set off a pretty heated debate. The article by Alana or Elena Kaplan, titled The Psychology of Sad Girl Pop, Why Music by Billie Eilish, Gracie Abrams, Olivia Rodrigo, and more is resonating so widely, suggests that the isolation and subsequent mental health issues triggered by the pandemic led to a rise in interest in the subgenre of sad girl pop. The author defined sad girl pop as, quote, vulnerable and melancholy pop tracks. That doesn't sound too out there to me, so why did this simple article kick off debate and fury among music fans? Well, I think it's the line where Kaplan said, quote, Sad girl pop didn't truly begin to form its own sort of subgenre until Billie Eilish and her whispery, gloomy music emerged in 2016. The author did credit female singers who came before Eilish, but some Eilish fans were quick to credit her with inventing this style of music, and that kicked off a Twitter debate. Let's weigh in on it. Sad girl pop. Is it Eilish that we think created or uh, really formed the subgenre? Or do we side with some of the other fandoms, including uh, Fiona Apple, Alanis Morissette, and Lana Del Rey, that this genre was created long before Billy? Well, I think, first off, I have some thoughts. I took some notes on the actual uh, Recording Academy article uh it starts off with the mention of olivia rodrigo and her song driver's license definitely a sad girl pop song right then the article brings up alanis morissette and fiona apple but this article doesn't frame them as sad girl pop influences rather the two women i feel are name dropped and disregarded essentially Morissette and Apple were pretty much thrown away and discredited. Hold on, I wouldn't say discredited, but I would say like she gave a little nod to them because maybe the author was aware that Sad Girl Pop, as I'm going to argue, didn't start with Eilish. The article shouldn't mention the newcomers without acknowledging, oh, there were people before Rodrigo or Billie Eilish that we should point out because I think that this article is very much intended uh, for Gen Z people. Uh, I think that's what the article was catering to. I would agree with that. But to not like acknowledge the trailblazers or when Sad Girl Pop hit its golden age. I, I, I think that they should have touched more on that. When it's first coalesced into a subgenre, would be the 90s, would be my guess. The era of grunge and... Moodiness, maybe? Yeah, just yeah. overarching. And even now the 90s are coming back, so that would explain why it seems like all of a sudden, here's this new subgenre. I was taking Sad Girl Pop very... Literally? Literally, so I was thinking about what are some of the women and what are some of the sad songs that they made um lyrically if not just emotionally the first one that came to mind which was sad girl pop was leslie gore i thought emotionally uh you don't own me lyrically it's my party i'll cry if i want to oh 
Okay, so you're saying teenagers have always existed. Breakups have always existed. Um, negative moods and feelings have always existed. They didn't just come about in the last like five or 10 years. I love that. I love that example, Leslie Gore. Cause you, you took it way back. Yeah, because I, I was thinking that too, that I'm like, if only I knew someone from the 50s, because I feel like this has to have always been a thing since teenagers became a cultural thing that there mm-hmm. has to have had sad girl music and that is perfect yeah that's a great example like the way she she focused so heavily on Billie Eilish and the outrage afterwards focused so heavily on other female artists that I think I kind of mentally skipped over the part where she talked about males it's it's more of a style and it makes sense that that would have peaked again in the 90s. And then now that same 90s vibe is starting to come back. And so we're seeing it again in Billy and Olivia. I'm going to take it back. Okay, so do we agree that this article was probably written for Gen Z, the people that are uh, connected with Billie Eilish? Yeah, yeah because yeah. even when it doesn't talk about Billie Eilish, it talks about Gen Z artists. Right. It's referencing a lot of current artists. And it's also, which I think makes sense because Sad Girl Pop isn't usually written for like a 50 year old woman it's usually written for teenagers right but there have always been uh teenagers who listen to this sort of stuff i think that okay hold on right there if there's always been teenagers who listen to this sort of stuff could billy eilish have created this sort of stuff yeah i think i i I think joel's gonna say exactly what I'm going to say, which is that this is nothing new. Even the statement that Billie Eilish created a subgenre isn't true. The the song that came to mind as soon as I read how they described Sad Girl Pop was Grace by Jeff Buckley. And it sounds weird because it's called Sad Girl Pop, but in the article they reference male artists like Louis Capaldi or Dean Lewis. Mm-hmm. Sad Girl Pop has nothing to do with the gender of who's singing it. It has to do with the style being associated with sad girls. So I would say this has always been a thing. Thoughts on Fiona? Because I did see the 90s. I was, you know, full disclosure, I'm an old lady. I was a teenager in the 90s. So when people say, what about Fiona or what about Alanis? I I totally feel that. I immediately, when I was reading this, was like, no, 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 no. Fiona Apple had that whole moody, melancholy disappointed in life or whatever kind of vibe to her what struck me about it was that the instruments were very different from what you'd hear now mm-hmm. give me a second to find the article the start of the article the author calls sad girl says sad girl pop is written through a dreamy yet raw lens of rage pining heartbreak or rejection it has nothing to do with music or instruments and if we take that that's so broad that mm-hmm. is so wide that's just emotional sad music i'm sure joel edited that out but i just gave them a taste of fiona apple and so i think as a gen z person reading this article you might see names like fiona apple and alanis morissette but if you have not been exposed to them you might just go ahead and say oh yeah billy eilish queen of sad girl pop i would say that the song never is a promise actually sounds like driver's license not just in lyrics but also in like instrument choice it sounds like driver's license Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts joel 
I think Fiona Apple's music from the 90s is very different from the sad girl pop today. I think that it's focused more lyrically. That's what I caught more than anything. I was listening to the lyrics, whereas when you listen to today's sad girl pop, it's more focused musically. Yeah, so she doesn't have that. She has a more simplistic. Fiona's, I, I would say, is more poetic. I, I don't. I don't listen to a lot of current sad girl pop, but she's got stuff that you gotta. You can connect with it, but you gotta kind of think a little bit more about it. So and so maybe the author's point is more like Billie Eilish presented something that today's teenagers can feel the melancholy in. And I would channel a little bit of like my inner cynic here. <laughs> When you think of pop music, if you're cynical, you think of something that's not very artistic, something that's not poetic. Because I think back to the 90s and I think um, Mazzy Starr, the Cranberries, uh, Fiona, Alanis Morissette, uh, Sarah McLachlan. And then you come into the 2000s and um, some of the debate was over Lana Del Rey, definitely sad girl music. Uh, Lord. Some people said, what about Adele? Oh, Adele, that's one name that never gets mentioned that... And I thought, what about Taylor Swift? Wasn't that, it just a that, few years back that everybody was sad with Taylor? She did mention that in the article, uh, Taylor Swift, but Adele is a perfect point, because you say that, and I remember a book I read, that fe- it was a fiction book, and it joked about Adele having nothing but sad music. Right, so then the question is, do people define sad girl pop differently? Like when I, I could think of all kinds of artists and I'm not even that deep into music. And I figure the people that are really deep into music, they could think of all kinds of artists, you know, yeah. more obscure than the ones I thought of, which were all pop. But staying within sad girl pop would imply popular music, would imply music a lot of people have heard that was on the radio. So maybe it's less about who created the subgenre and more like who's popularizing it for each generation. Yeah. I had some people on my list, actually, just going off of a very loose timeline. I had Kelly Clarkson, Corin Belly Ray, and Avril Lavigne bridging the gap. And who would, and as someone who grew up in the 90s, who would you say popularized it for the 90s? Well, I'd say, for me personally, Fiona Apple. Okay mid-90s other people would say someone different like a lot of people were Alanis Morissette and Jagged Little Pill that wasn't my vibe but that that was around the same time so Alanis Morissette is more melancholy in her music to me she sounded like uh female counting crows almost the author of this article the snippet about Billie Eilish she backpedals that not just in that paragraph but throughout the entire article to quote another moment while sad girl pop isn't exactly new, most musical trends are cyclical, of course, the way people are clinging to it is, and that's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, I was actually, when I read this article, I was actually surprised because I expected it to be much more Billie Eilish dominant. You know, and it almost made me wonder, did this get edited or something? Well, and I think she gets pop play. Yeah. Like, I don't remember Lana Del Rey being on the radio all the time. Billie Eilish, though, just yesterday. Joel and I were waiting in the vehicle, and uh, bad is it bad guy by her? Yeah, bad that, guy. That came on. 
Like, I don't remember mm-hmm. hearing Lana Del Rey played to death on the radio, but Billy is, which shows that she's got a lot of influence in this. And then, I mean, I'm not going to go into a bunch of names. I think every generation has its sad girl pop star. Yeah. The main issue about the whole Lana Del Rey, Billy, Irish. You should see me in the crowny buckle. <laughs> I am the bad guy. Oh, I knew what I was trying to do. The reason Billie Eilish is getting credited so much and the reason uh, Lana Del Rey has to be sort of a way backed up by her fans is because, as you said, Kit, Billie Eilish receives much airplay. So it's very easy to say when someone's in the mainstream, oh, you're the creator of Sad Girl Pop, when you don't hear these other artists who don't receive as much airplay. Fiona and Alanis as examples. I'm sure there were groups that weren't so pop that were doing this alongside them, before them, possibly better than them, that we just don't know about because they're not popular I'm, music. I'm sure this isn't correct, but would Blondie count? The little more punk. Yeah, exactly. definitely more punk. There was the Machine Gun Kelly song on the other day, and I'm like, is this new Blink-182? What is this? Like... Is anything in popular it's music? Gone, but is is anything in popular music new anymore? The one thing I would challenge on that mm-hmm. is the word anymore, because I would argue that, like you said, new small new things happen. But I think we look back and we get like this grand scheme of things, and we're like, look, pop just kept changing, and now it doesn't. I don't think that was the case. I think pop was a lot of the same, and it's just incrementally they changed new things until finally it clicked well we say that uh that people are always like feeding off of Billie eilish or taylor swift or da, 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 da. well whatever whatever the artist is that they're heavily influenced by but you think back to when she released when we all fall asleep where do we go her debut album in 2019 that one was big, and I remember thinking, I've never heard anything like this. But, you know, three years later, when people are essentially kind of copycatting this, it doesn't seem as original. I think that's Right, and, but you're also in Gen Z. So you heard her and were like, I've never heard anything like this. But a 40-year-old person or a 60-year-old person who's had much more time with music, might have been like, oh, yeah, this is like so-and-so from back in 1980. Yeah. You know, when you've oh. had, yeah. And if we are saying something interesting, again, it's a very incremental change. <laughs> it's very incremental. <laughs> I wonder if it's legal to go, um, I wonder sing? how, yeah, I wonder how legal, I wonder when the legal boundary gets crossed on singing. I thought that today, um, actually. Yeah. Of course, I don't know which of us I'd like to hear sing the least. <laughs> The most. Dun, 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 dun. Round here. Well, isn't that sad girl pop? Yes, that's what I I would thought. say I much, I, alongside Fiona Apple, I was listening to Counting Crows. That was one that's of the things I thought of. Pop. I thought of that and Jeff Buckley. Melancholy, emotional, breakup. All right. Is there anything else you want to address, Joel? Um, you can release this in 20 years. The... My closing is there is no definitive queen of sad girl pop. I think a lot of people on the Twitter, that paper, Mm -hmm. that article by paper that I was reading, 
said, like, well, Billie Eilish, well, Lana Dalloway, well, pro Morrissey, you know. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there is a definitive queen of sad girl pop because there's always been teenagers, there's always been music, and there's always been sad, moody music. Absolutely. I'm going to... Addressing a generation. I would agree Mm -hmm. with you on that, that it's always been a thing. What stirred up controversy is that it was published by the Recording Academy that does the Grammys, and people are like, "Whoa, these are like, th- these people are a big name in music, and they're giving her credit with this subgenre." I wrote in my notes that I feel like there's a certain level of distrust that I have for them right now because they're supposed to be well-respected, well-known, and certainly well-educated, mm-hmm. but then they go ahead and credit, they go ahead and credit her with something that is. Not her crown. But we also have to remember that this is one author whose writing got published on their page. Maybe not approved by all of the Academy. Yeah. And uh, with that said, I'm sure you could find people who agree with you. Okay, I feel like we're... Yeah, we're just spiraling right now. It's uh, 20 minutes in, I'm like, I am... Sugared? I... be sugared? Yeah, kind of, but also ice cream sounds good. I don't know, but... (laughs) Here we go. Ready? Let us know what you think. Who would you credit with creating the sad girl pop genre? Does it even matter? We put together a playlist featuring songs by some of the women mentioned in today's episode. So if you're feeling a little melancholy or if you want to decide who did sad girl pop best, Check it out on our Spotify page. And also, I also like, um, Doc, when you were talking about how it can be a male singing it. And so you just might find a couple of those on the list. We'll be back next month with something thrilling. I'm Joe Flair. This is the Joe Flair Show. Bye. Bye. We'll see what I can do. You are just so damn determined to keep this. It, it, yeah, the, the other people in the round table are like, this is trash. What do you think? You're like, I'll fix it. You thought that on Christmas countdown. Oh, but I really think it on this one. I hate to say it, but I think once we sat down and started talking, I thought this isn't an episode. Mm-mm. <laughs>